0: Okay, welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. I have with me on today's episode sixty-five is Campbell Will. Campbell is a physiotherapist. He's a Level Two Wim Hof Method instructor and breathwork facilitator. Originally from Australia, and has adopted the U.S. as his home. Lives in the Upper Northeast, and uh, we discuss a number of things uh, to include. I'm really foundationally principled in breath work and how we can use that tool to reclaim a variety of things how it affects our nervous system our psychology and our emotional state and that we can leverage this to really take ownership take personal responsibility and not be victimized to external circumstances uh, and also just the physical impact to body both short and long term so we dig into a variety of things and hope you'll take away a number of practical applications you can also check out Campbell's uh, site and there you can find a lot of free content recently just did a uh, 10 day email series walking through practically uh, applying breath work to your life so please Check that out. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, be rested, be well. All right. Well, with me today is Campbell Will, owner and operator of Breath Body Therapy. He is a level two Wim Hof breath coach, which we'll get into what that is. Heart math certified, where he helps clients discover their untapped power through breath, body, and mind. So, Campbell, thank you uh, for joining me.
1: It's a pleasure, Scott. I'm really happy to be here. Excited to, to jump in.
0: Yeah, I I am too. Uh, It's something that, you know, uh, breath work, it seems so rudimentary at times, um, but you don't realize how nuanced it is and important it is to be cognizant and really mindful uh, of, you know, what your breath is doing and how that relates to your overall wellness.
1: Yeah. It's something I often, I say to people, I teach people how to breathe and it often gets met with, well, we're breathing all the time. Like, what do I need to learn? But just because we're doing something all the time doesn't mean we're doing it well. And I often say that automatic doesn't mean optimal. And just like we can pick up bad habits with anything else, posture, any habits, breathing is no different. Um, And so many people I see somewhere along the line, something's got a little bit out of balance and then it sort of self-sustains and it creates a bit of a, a feedback loop and, and it goes towards this sort of dysfunctional thing that if you're doing something 25,000 times a day that's not optimal, there's going to be a downstream effect of that. And yep. it's not sort of if, it's when that sort of symptom or something arises that's coming from that dysfunction. Yeah,
0: it's that negative compounding interest, so to speak, of like, I say sometimes pennies add up the dollars and you're not going to notice it initially. And that's you know, good habits or bad habits.
1: But at some point, it's going to manifest itself. That's what I, I, I see the same thing in my sort of work as a physical therapist, that we often wait until something breaks. And I think that's such a flawed mechanism to think, oh, wait, till it breaks before I fix it. We don't do that with anything else. We get our car serviced. We get our house cleaned. like we manage and we maintain and we keep sort of things rolling but we often wait in our own bodies until there is a symptom and I think there's so much sort of subclinical or that yeah before it actually becomes a symptom there's a lot happening that the body's so resilient that it takes a lot for it to get to that point but I think by waiting if we wait and wait and wait until something arises we're sort of really behind the eight ball by then.
0: Yeah. And, and it's interesting too. even my own walk, you know, it's relatively new last year and a half or so um, in focusing on that. Honestly, the last few months I've gotten pretty far away from it, but um, how, um, you know, important that is to, to really focus on those, those details. So talking about, you know, that initial comment, when you talk about breath work and people like I breathe every day. So how do you how do you address that? Because uh, candidly, even myself walking into it, I was like, why do I need to do breath work? I'm an active person, etc. So what are some of those things you need to dispel?
1: Yeah. So I usually sort of teach people that it's a tool and, and it's something that's instantaneous in its effect. It's free. You don't need any equipment. You don't need to go use a sort of special room or it's really this tool that we have that once you learn the sort of foundations and the principles then you can sort of weld that tool for the situation that you're in and what I love about it is it's so adaptable and it's so individualized that for one person I might be teaching them to use their breath purely based on stress management and someone else it could be performance someone else it's recovery there's sleep So it doesn't really matter what the problem is, so to speak, because by having that tool there, you can apply it based on your situation, your day-to-day experience. and, And it really is, it's with you all the time. So why not learn how to sort of refine and use it so that you do have something that you can control, that you can lean on. And I often say that, When we're sort of met with so much chaos and there's so many things that we can't control, why not have something that you can? It's the one thing we've got sort of volitional control over. Yeah. When we might be in the midst of the storm and the chaos and there is something I can lean on there, there's something, there's this sort of anchor point that's going to keep me centered and keep me grounded and keep me sort of within that storm, you can find a bit of stillness by using breath.
0: Yeah, I like that idea of being anchored or more to something like that. Especially when um, more and more, yeah, there's a lot of things that are out of our control, like you said. But take it back into ourselves, and what can we uh, do to empower ourselves to not be victims of circumstance? Um, So, I I think it's a pretty neat tool. So, you mentioned the four different domains. I would call recovery, sleep, uh, performance, and. You know, I'm drawing a blank on the fourth one, but I heard four. But in each of those, are there different approaches based on those circumstances or the individual,
1: like protocols or approaches? Yeah. So, and I think I often say like your breath is like your fingerprint. It's so unique to you. And so I think people do need to take that little bit of time into understanding what protocols or what sort of patterns or techniques they are going to be applicable for them. Because so many people I see, like, let's take the Wim Hof method, for example, it's a very up-regulating technique. If you've got someone that's already pretty wide, they're, they're driving around with high revs, that's probably not the technique that they need. They probably need something that's a little bit more down-regulating. We need to tap into that parasympathetic state. So it's sort of like, well, what are my goals? What am I trying to achieve? Is it? Do I need to down-regulate at the end of the day? I'm, I'm pretty wide and pretty stressed and pretty up. Um, then we're going to focus a little bit more on slowing it down, exhale emphasis, um, or it's someone that's maybe I just don't have the energy in the morning and I do need to ramp up something like the Wim Hof method is perfect for that person. So it really sort of comes down to what am I trying to gain? um, and how do I want to use the breath? But that's what I love to teach is instead of teaching a protocol, it's to teach the sort of principles. If you understand how your breathing affects your nervous system. Then you can use it to downregulate and upregulate because we're going to need those, both of those sort of gears. And I think we get a little bit stuck with this practice or this protocol yeah. when really we should understand, all right, well, what's it doing to my physiology? What's it doing to my nervous system? How do I actually use that as a tool applicable to me? Rather than I only have this one. It's sort of like colors of the palette. You learn one protocol or one technique. you got one color to use. Why not learn all of the colors of the palette so you can paint a really beautiful picture yeah. and have this sort of flexible tool that, all right, I am feeling down and lethargic and I need to ramp up. But maybe later in the day, I need something that's going to help me calm down or after exercise or whatever it might be. So I really like to teach the sort of simple principles of sort of nervous system regulation, emotional regulation, and energy management. So, so let's unpack
0: those a little bit. You mentioned the foundational principles. So what are those?
1: For me, I, my, I just love the nervous system. And I think it's something that we should all be educated on because it's really running the show. I, I, I explain that autonomic nervous system is really the operating system of the body. And why not sort of lift up the hood and have a look under the hood to see how it's running? And so knowing that we've got this sort of spectrum of our autonomic arousal, do I need to be up or do I need to be down? And what's my influence over that? So I really like to start from nervous system. And most people know the sort of fight-flight response and the rest and digest, but sort of breaking it down a little bit more because I think that gets lost in context of like, oh, that's an evolutionary thing. If I'm being attacked by a tiger, when was the last time you got attacked by a tiger? (laughs) Never, right? But if you understand that, Every email and every deadline and every traffic jam is like little tigers coming at you. Right. Then there's a bit more context that you can apply. Oh, this is my sympathetic state tapping in here. This sort of feeling of agitation and anxiety. This is that. So, do I want to self-regulate? Do I want to bring myself back to perhaps to a more parasympathetic state? So, understanding those sort of knobs and levers. And then I think emotional regulation, again, it's something that no one's taught. I find this really interesting, just the last few years being in this realm. But looking at the way that we manage emotions, it's like this self-soothing mechanism of external sources, right? I'm sort of feeling down and I'm going to reach for a coffee or I need right. to wind out at the end of the day, it's alcohol, or sleeping pill, whatever it might be. It's this external source to try and self-soothe for lack of a better description. But I'm trying to manage my emotions, but I'm doing that by leaning on something else. Why not learn that you actually have this sort of self-regulatory capacity? And that's where I sort of dove into the heart math stuff and I've just found it really, really interesting because so many people like, oh, it's, I'm just having a bad day or I'm stuck in a bad mood. Well, you don't have to be. But if you don't know how to get out of that, then I'm going to reach for alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be to get myself out of this feeling that I'm having. But we've got these internal tools as well. Your breath is a really, really powerful lever. Your attention, this sort of self-generating of emotions, it's something that I think is a, a foreign concept to a lot of people because it's just not touched on anywhere. Yeah. So I think teaching people that they do have a little bit more control over how they're feeling is really empowering for a lot of people. Well, and I think, uh, and I include myself in this statement, is
0: we're we're surface area on all these things that we think it's, like you said, we're just kind of, it happens. Or it's like that's the byproduct of of doing something. And that may be true, but there's ways to reclaim that or or navigate that a little differently um, and not just, oh, you know, I'm in a bad mood and just be in a bad mood. Well, no, you can actually take action and write and that shit.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And it's something that, again, until I encountered this over the last sort of couple of years, that was, it was like, oh, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. Right. And you just sort of have to like, that's it. <laughs> that's what's yeah. happening today. But I've just learned that there is tools that you can apply and that there's things you can do that you don't have to be sort of dictated by the mood that you find yourself in or something bad happens in your day. Like shit, it's the fan. We know it's going to happen. It's not when it, it's not, if it's when, so it's right. like, do I have this ability to manage that when it does happen? What am I going to do? Am I just going to sort of wallow in, in pity and pity and be down? Or am I going to take a hold of this thing that we call our emotional state and change it and, yeah. and, and have the tools to apply to know how to do that?
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point on, you know, things are going to happen. The whole spectrum of activity, some days, maybe weeks or months or whatever of negative things occurring, and it may be the other way, but um, you're in more control of a lot more in your life than you realize, or at least your perception of the circumstance and how you uh, adapt to it.
1: Exactly, and that's one of of my big sort of points with the Wim Hof Method is teaching people. It's like, this is to teach you that when shit hits the fan, because it will, you're gonna you're gonna have the tools. You're gonna you've been there before. Like jumping in an ice bath is a great example of like, oh, this is the stress response. Like that what you're feeling right now is what's going to happen when something else externally, like that proverbial thing that happens, like if you've been there, if you've felt the heightened sympathetic arousal, the adrenaline, and you've learned to self-regulate and to stay calm and composed and come back to your breath, then you're really sort of rewriting your own stress response instead of being lost and that we lose the prefrontal cortex and everything goes offline and I just react it's like oh I put myself in that situation consciously in a controlled environment and learn this is what happens when I feel very very overwhelmed and stressed and I'm going to I'm going to practice that I'm going to practice putting myself in that sort of heightened situation so that when something else happens that's not a conscious decision of jumping in an ice bath it's like oh, I've felt this before. I've felt this really, really heightened levels of anxiety and energy and agitation and whatever it might be for you. Right. And I've learned how to de-escalate that response and come back to a little bit more of a grounded, composed self that is a little, little bit more an appropriate state to be able to handle something like that happening. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I think we get away from um, training. It's kind of training and preparing you for things. And that's what you know we do it when our youth when we're doing sports or in music lessons or dance or whatever activity you're involved in but it, it at least for me it seemed like we didn't we don't know, think about it in that context for just like just day-to-day life and it seems like the breath work is kind of that foundational tool to help navigate that
1: exactly and it's i think it comes back to this sort of concept of like our comfort zone it's got so big and it's got so comfortable that we now have to seek out that discomfort. We have to look to try and stretch those boundaries a little bit so that we are this sort of resilient, capable, thriving human because otherwise that comfort zone becomes this sort of like nest that it's dangerous to be in there. Uh, Wim's got this great saying that sort of our comfort has become, we've become so successful at being comfortable that comfort is now the enemy of our success, which I just love. Because we, it's so true. We don't like to put ourselves in a situation that's a little bit uncomfortable. So then when it happens, and again, it's when, I'm not very equipped to deal with that. It's foreign to me. And I don't understand what's happening in my body, what's happening in my mind, this response that occurs. Whereas if I do take that time to put myself in discomfort consciously, and that can be breathwork, that can be cold, that can be hot, that can just be exercise, then again, I'm stretching those boundaries a little bit, and I'm making myself more capable to deal with what's going to come up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting philosophical point is like struggle is kind of the foundation of success and, and we all want to avoid struggle, but that's really the key ingredient, um, whether it's business success or athletic success or what, again, fill in the, the blank of an instrument. It takes work. It takes activity and engagement and intention to get to where you want to be, not just like passively floating along the river.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And I think we also need to sort of touch on to people that think it's always really uncomfortable and like you get to a point where you start to enjoy it. And, and if you told me before I started doing cold therapy and jumping an ice baths that I would enjoy it, I'd be like, no way. I used to hate the cold. I used to hate that, that feeling. But again, once you establish a practice around that tool, then you start to find these little parts of it that are enjoyable. And now I sort of, I crave jumping in an ice bath or getting in (laughs) the ocean when it's really cold because it makes me feel alive. And I feel this sort of like thing that happens where it's like, oh, systems on, like you're very engaged, you're very present. So it's not just finding the struggle for the sake of the struggle. It's also like, can I make that struggle enjoyable in some way? Because then it becomes, again, a sort of self-sustaining practice. You're not just seeking out the discomfort for the sake of it, right. but you're trying to, again, build that capacity and resilience and do it in a way that is somewhat enjoyable.
0: Yeah, or at least gamify it a little bit, you know, and just challenge yourself and just that incremental, you know, minimum product uh, approach, so to speak.
1: Yeah. So. And, and th- sort of finding that minimum effective dose as well. It's th- like... Once you establish that, where where the sort of sweet spot is of what I need to do and where I get my benefit, then, yeah, you start to refine it a little bit and you get to a point where it's like an easy to dive into practice that gives you really a lot of long-term benefit. Yeah,
0: and, and I think that's a key detail is like almost along the lines of the New Year's resolution method is we go from zero to 60, right? And it's really about that incremental gain and the practice of it on a consistent basis, that'll get you to that point.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Yeah. Um, so you kind of touched on specifically Wim Hof, and then you kind of went over a couple other methodologies and folks out there. Um, what are some of the other methods that you're familiar with? Uh, and maybe how those re- relate to some of the, the approaches?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I touched a little bit on heart math, which is really about emotional regulation, sort of identifying when we're perhaps in these, what they call sort of depleting emotional states, frustration, impatience, anger, versus these renewing emotional states, but they don't talk about good and bad emotions, all emotions are sort of valid and very necessary. But again, there's emotions like gratitude and appreciation and excitement that really do tap into this sort of source of energy and source of aliveness that is under our sort of control. The Wim Hof method I really use around its sort of ability to build more capacity, more resilience, more stress management, um, for lack of a better term. And I think stress is a a funny concept that probably gets misunderstood a lot. Um, But it's, again, seeking out this discomfort, it's putting myself in the stress so that I get better at managing it. And then I sort of just break down the rest of quote-unquote breath work, um, which is a very, very old practice and there's a lot of a a resurgence in sort of popularity and scientific interest, which I think is fantastic. But it's really sort of applying these principles of how your breath affects nervous system, your physiology, your biomechanics, and applying that to what situation you're in. And again, as we touched on before, that can be anything. That can be calming down. That can be ramping up. That can be providing myself a little boost of energy. But... Understanding those sort of principles, because what I've sort of found through all of the different methodologies that I've studied, they're all working on the same principles. Right. And uh, Brian McKenzie, who's a, a sort of a leader in this field of performance and breath, he, he yeah. says sort of like the methods are many, but the principles are few. And if you sort of dive only into the methods, again, some of them become a little bit dogmatic. But if you understand the principles, then you can take the rebirthing breathwork, the holotropic breathwork, the x y and z because there's literally a 100 methods out there right but what are they working on is your nervous system your physiology or biomechanics so if you understand those pieces then it's again you've got all of these colors in the palette and that allows you to apply it to what's specific to you because yeah. everyone that i work with is really different and it's not a one size fits all approach because again your life's very different to my life and it's different to the next person so just having one tool or one practice, I think is a little bit too structured and it's a little bit too rigid. Having that flexibility of, oh, this is my nervous system, this is my physiology, this is my breath, allows you to be a little bit more flexible with the things that come your way. Yeah, I love
0: that. It's kind of this the uh, orchestra of breath. You know, it, it made me think of, we were talking earlier, but like notes, right? There's notes, but you put them together in different order and operation, you're going to have a different sound. And so it's kind of, you know, I love that. Yeah. That's
1: a really good way to think about
0: it. Same way. Um, so you mentioned stress. So what's your, I have some perspectives on this as I've learned, but like stress, what, what is your perspective on that?
1: Yeah. So I think, think when we get told stress is bad, it's just a gross oversimplification. I think <laughs> stress is one of the most critical pieces to our adaptation and our evolution. And without stress, we probably wouldn't be here. And sure chronic low grade psychological stress is terrible it, it, it's corrosive it's inflammatory it's not good but this sort of blanket statement of stress is bad really makes people think they need to avoid it and I think stress avoidance is a real problem because again like we said you have to seek out that discomfort you have to put yourself in that environment and that's stressful yeah and so stress to me I think is just anything that requires a response from the body is stress okay and I and I think that if we really break it down, it's such a human thing to do. I think we compartmentalize and we think, oh, that's my work stress, but I'm now going to go smash it in the gym and we'll go run 10Ks and that's going to help me de-stress. Well, that's just another form of stress. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to jump in the ice bath, which is stressful again, and that's going to be my recovery. So it's sort of we need to recognize that everything comes under this sort of blanket statement of stress. And stress management is like choosing these little Good use stress, or this acute sort of stress that helps me adapt, versus this sort of chronic, low-grade, non-stop stress yeah. um, that really sort of just burning the candle at both ends is not a good way for your body to to bounce. So I think we have to sort of take stress and use it to our advantage, rather than try and separate ourselves from it. Because like we said before, there's no way to, you have to live in a bubble in a cave somewhere if you don't want to be affected by stress because it's everywhere. Sunlight's stressful, food's stressful, sleep, driving, everything. So it's sort of like understanding that and being able to choose the types of stress that I'm going to subject myself to consciously so that I get better at dealing with it.
0: Yeah. And it seems too, like um, understanding your response to it, And whether it's like you mentioned the word optimal, optimal or not in that moment. So if you're responding to a high stress scenario and you're responding somewhat calm, okay, you're in a good state. But if you're like maybe over rotating at a particular moment, you might need to be aware of like, oh, what was that?
1: Yeah. and, And I think that's where a lot of these tools come into play. Ice baths, saunas, breath work is it gives you an opportunity to check in and like, what's my response? You hold your breath and you feel this desire to breathe, this urgency, that's stress, okay? And do you react? Do you fight? Do you run away? Or can you, again, recognize, oh, this is my response that's happening now. Is that the right response? Is that my normal response? Do I need to perhaps dial down on different things because I'm, I'm quite reactive at the moment? So it gives us this little window of insight into like our own reactivity or responsiveness yeah and and that's where it becomes really interesting this interplay of like our physiology that really and a lot of brian mckenzie and rob milson's rob wilson's work is this idea of co2 being this stress messenger yeah and that gives us all right well what's my tolerance or what's my sensitivity to carbon dioxide well we can sort of see that as that's my tolerance to stress because the body has what's called cross stress adaptation which sort of says the way that I deal with one stress is the way that I'll deal with all stress. And so your ability or your response to a physiological stress, which is hypoxia or hypercapnia, high CO2, that's probably going to be how you respond to the physical, the emotional, the financial, all of the other stresses that we sort of label, you're going to have the same response. So there's an opportunity to practice, well, how do I want to respond to this physiological stress? That's the thing that I control. And then the flow on effect of that is like, oh, well, my other responses are gonna become a little bit more constructive or optimal. Yeah,
0: I, you make me think of a quote I just saw, um, but he was talking more on you know executing on business, but it's like how you do one thing is how you do everything. And you kind of touched on that, that exact principle.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's, and, and that gives us, because we can't do it, we can't manage everything. Right. But if we can yeah. affect this one thing and then let the flow on effect take like the ripples of that spread out, then that gives us all of this because we, I think everyone's probably guilty of taking too much on or trying to do too much or managing all these different things. Oh, yeah. And we can't, there's just too many things. So yeah. why not grab a hold of one of them, fix that <laughs> or get better at that. And then know that that's going to affect all of the other things that you're wanting to manage.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely guilty, and that's kind of how the birth of the podcast in itself was exactly that. Is like the the overconsumption of things. It's like, okay, you can do all the things, but not all at once. Yeah, so I'm uh, so I'm guilty of, of that myself. Um, just taking on way too much, oversubscribing. and that was kind of the the birth of the podcast, really, of that ultimate burnout. Right? Is is you convinced yourself? I've convinced myself that I, they all have to be done all at once. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you just, it just physically, you can't. And, um, some interesting nuance for me is like, I noticed I was holding my breath. And then also like, I always seem like my shoulders were like up in my ears, like just tense and like really bound up.
1: Yeah. And it's such a, I think it, and that again is this sort of window of insight, that like you Julie, recognized, oh, there is a reflection of what's happening now. I've got too many things on my plate and there is a physiological response. My breath's changing. There's a physical response. There's tension developing. But so many of us ignore that or we sort of suppress it or we override it or we think, oh, I've got too much on my plate to, to deal with that now. And yep. we keep pushing. And I think that's a a sort of societal thing that burnout's kind of glorified. Being stressed is glorified. Oh, I'm so stressed. I've got so much on my plate. We sort of say it with a badge of honor, which I think is disastrous. And and, and again, like we touched on at the start, it usually takes breaking point to recognize that. Like people have to hit that burnout point where they can't get out of bed to recognize, oh, I've been pushing way too hard for way too long. And that's what I think breath can provide people is this sort of gauge it's the odometer of your nervous system and if you catch yourself holding your breath and you have these intermittent apneas and it's actually really interesting you bring that up but they've sort of turned this email apnea where people jump on in the mornings and they start checking email hold their breath because it's stressful yeah and that's an ingrained sort of pattern and habit that is not optimal and that's a reflection that your body's saying oh this freaks me out a little bit And if I, again, people that are completely unaware of their breathing miss that little message from their body and then they keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. And it brings, it it reminds me of this really beautiful quote that I I often say to a lot of people that, and I can't remember who it's from. I, I can't give credit because I can't remember, but it's the body whispers before it screams. And if you learn to listen to the whispers, you don't have to hear it scream. But so often we wait until it screams. My back blows out, or I have an injury, or I can't get out of bed, or my sleep goes to shit. That's the scream. But how many whispers did we ignore? Oh, I'm yeah. holding my breath, or my breathing rate's really high, or I have this inability to deal with this physiological stress. There's the whispers, and if we learn to listen to those, it saves us a lot of pain in the long run. Uh,
0: that that that's great. Um, and and the other thing too, I thought about as you were talking about that is. If you don't listen to the whispers and when it does come out, it comes out for lack of a better term, dysfunctional, right? Your people, if it happens with another in person, they're gonna be like, what is wrong with this guy or gal, right? And then it's gonna get discredited and then that, that could continue to negatively snowball if that makes sense.
1: Exactly, and I, and I think it's, it's against it's a skill to learn to listen to those whispers. I think we're in this sort of age at the moment where we're very disconnected. Yeah. Number one from each other and and this sort of distance that we're all facing, but also from ourselves. Like so many people are unaware of their body. We live from the neck up. We live in our mind, in our thoughts and our ideas, the stories that we tell. And it takes pain or it takes dysfunction or it takes not being able to do something to actually like, Look and be like, oh, something's not right here. Yeah. But if it's a practice, it's a skill, this neurological muscle that is our awareness. If I've only listened to my thoughts and I spend all my time, then that thinking part of my mind gets really, really strong. But that sort of sensing part of my mind becomes a little bit atrophied, it becomes weak. So taking time to listen to your breath, to notice it is it fast? Is it slow? Is it shallow? Is it deep? Is it in my chest? Is it up into my shoulders? And, and getting better at that because then you'll start to really pick up on the whispers before they become screams. But it, it, someone explained it once and it's like the first time it'll, it'll tap you on the shoulder, this sort of thing that's happening. The second time it'll punch you in the face. <laughs> if you can learn to, to respond to the tap on the shoulder, you don't have to get punched in the face. Yeah, right. And so it's, it, it's a really important thing to like listen to our body and, and check in and, and tune in and see how am I running? Like, am I burning the candle at both ends? Am I at that burnout point? Do I need to perhaps take some things off my plate? so that i can sort of just calm things back down a little bit because and we all know that you don't make great decisions when you're really really overwhelmed when you're stressed and panicked and anxious we don't like our energy goes down our ability to be with loved ones and communicate everything goes out the window when we're in that sort of heightened state
0: yeah yeah the food choices we make and and yep Uh, Or yeah, the beverage you might grab.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and like (laughs) you said, that that sort of negative compounding interest—it's so interesting because it does affect everything else. And that is amazing research that's coming out. That like the worse you sleep, the poorer food you'll just consume more poor, high-calorie foods, and like then the food you're eating is going to affect your sleep, and it just all starts this spiral. Yeah,
0: yeah. So so breaking it down simply, what's that? Is awareness that first step, or what is that first? right step if this is kind of new to those listening
1: yeah definitely awareness and i think it's one of those things that we think it's too simple to be effective and we want the highly complex highly sort of the difficult thing to start with we like to run before we walk but i think cultivating that sense of awareness is the most important aspect whether that's just your breath or also your sort of body but if you're not aware of when your breathing changes, then you can't really do anything about it. It's like having a tool, but not knowing when to apply it. Yeah. So when I work with people, I really start, like the first week, two weeks, awareness, it's all we do. It's really learning, like, how do you breathe when you wake up? How do you breathe when you're eating, when you're talking, when you're in a meeting, when you feel happy, sad, angry. And if you can start to notice all of these different variations that your breath takes on based on the way that you're feeling, then you start to sort of speak the language of your own breath. Okay. Because it's not, we don't just breathe in this monotonous way all day. It is the odometer; It changes based on my emotional state. It changes based on my energy levels. It changes based on who I'm with, what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's really sort of taking the time to notice all of those little variations that occur. Because then you can start to develop, oh, well, I breathe like this when I'm feeling super content and relaxed. And I breathe like this when I'm feeling super anxious and scared. So, the next time I'm feeling really anxious and scared, I'll just breathe like I'm feeling relaxed and content. And that's going to affect my nervous system. I I like to explain it as we have these signatures, these respiratory signatures. And it's really true. They did this really fascinating research where they took a group of people, and I'll probably get it wrong, but I'll try and find the study and send it to you if you want to put it in the show notes that they essentially got them to feel certain emotions. They showed them images or they got them to draw on a memory. Okay, let's make you feel really, really sad. And they monitored and they took note of their breathing pattern, their respiratory pattern. They did that with a group of people and then they took the respiratory pattern and applied it to a different group of people. They said, we want you to breathe like this and tell us how you feel. And it was this almost one-to-one. They're like, oh, this makes me feel sad. This one makes me feel excited. And it was just taking the respiratory pattern. So what they sort of found that every emotional state we have has a corresponding breathing pattern and that's a bi-directional pathway. So if I can start to take hold of the breathing pattern, then I can start to create the emotional state. And that to me is like this wonderful, wonderful insight and really, really empowering because no one likes to feel sad or anxious or depressed or angry So, but again, if I don't know that there is a respiratory pattern involved with that, I'm going to blame it on my environment or the situation that I'm in, where really there's this missing piece that let's say the environment is causing me to feel anxious. Really what's happening is the environment's causing my breathing to change and then I'm responding to my own physiology and that makes me feel anxious. But if if we miss that piece, then we'll always just blame it on circumstance. Oh, this makes me feel stressed. Right? Well, does it or does it change your breathing and your breathing makes you feel stressed? Because you can't always control your environment, but you can always control your breathing. So it sort of gives people that tool back and puts it the ball in their playing field. It's like, all right, well, there is something I can do about this now.
0: That is an awesome equipping uh, aspect to that is that, that pendulum swing or interplay, like you said, between emotion and breath, that one or the other may be the leading indicator but the other can help
1: offset it. So, yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and again, like it, there's certain things that we can't control. And if we are dictated by those things, then it's a, a sort of very react, reactionary, reactive sort of aspect. But if I can recognize there is something I can control and that influences the sort of outcome, then that's really empowering. It equips you with that tool. That is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's really, really practical. So um, I feel like I keep talking about this for hours, but I want to be respectful for your time. And uh, how can how – can, well, before we go into the, the closing questions, the little hot seat, but how can folks find you?
1: Yeah, so I'm most active on Instagram at Breath Body Therapy. My website's the same. Um, I, I, sh- I try and share a lot of just sort of free, simple-to-apply content. Because I think the other thing that happens is we, we think breathwork's this thing where you've got to go and light the candles and put the music on and it takes 30 <laughs> minutes, 45 minutes. And yeah. it doesn't have to be that. That's a wonderful piece of breathwork, what I call sort of therapeutic breathwork. Yeah. But functional is like, well, how are you breathing 20,000 times today? And is that something that we can focus on and change? So yeah. I try and just get people to take that first step to open that door and see where it can sort of take you. Um, I I work with people one-on-one and I really sort of see most effect around that sort of stress, anxiety, sleep and energy management Um, and so that's where I'm really trying to sort of focus my energy at the moment is creating those tools and and working with people to again know how to apply these simple practices throughout the day that are going to help you do all the things you need to do and recognize perhaps when your emotions are off or your energy's off or your sleep's getting bad, well what can I do about that yeah. Right now, and that sort of very short-term effect to have those long-term gains and benefits.
0: So, I mean, we are the rest from recovery podcast. So let's tap on it before we go to the final questions, though. I want to pull on that is sleep. So what what's like a downregulating sleep methodology that you would suggest?
1: Yeah, so prime I mean, number one, nose, right? So our nose is really the parasympathetic trigger. As soon as we open the mouth. It sort of tells my nervous system and my brain, something's happening, right? Maybe there's a predator. Maybe I need to run away from something. Our mouth is really designed for that sort of heightened level of boost of energy, boost of intensity. So even on a low grade, if I'm breathing through my mouth, my nervous system's kind of humming away in the background saying, what do we need to be prepared for? That's not a really restful state. So I always encourage people, especially like notice throughout the day, if you're breathing throughout the mouth, you really want to be trying to breathe primarily through the nose, unless it's high intensity, pretty high activity, then nasal breathing should be what we're doing. So even if I am say a habitual mouth breather, then trying to close my mouth at night. Okay. I use a little bit of tape over my lips at night. Okay. And that's been super effective for me that I just feel like a different person when I wake up in the morning, I feel rested. I, I sleep well. But also, again, using breathing to sort of regulate the nervous system, we don't want to be in a sympathetic state at night. We don't want to be in a sympathetic state when we're trying to go to bed. So understanding that our exhale is very linked to the parasympathetic nervous system, our diaphragm. So I, I encourage people just 5-10 minutes of having this sort of buffer zone between my day being done and the stresses of my day being done and transitioning to a state of rest. Okay, And that can be done with your breath. Okay, so... Really, really simple, double the length of the exhale. If I'm going to take a four-second inhale, I'm going to take an eight-second exhale, and I'm going to do that five minutes. There's that respiratory signature. Your brain knows... If I'm really taking time on my exhales, there's no tigers around. There's nothing for me to worry about that I need to run away from. So let's start turning off the lights and, and flicking off the switches because we're going into that state of rest and recovery. Yeah. So just that's the, probably the easiest. Breathe through the nose, lengthen the exhale, and take that good five minutes to tell your nervous system it's okay to switch off. There's nothing to worry about now. We can move into that state of repair and recovery.
0: Awesome great that's great it's so amazing how uh accessible that is yeah and
1: exactly and you don't need any it doesn't need to be any more complex than that there is patterns that you can do and there is different protocols but again sometimes that's a hindrance to people that's a barrier so just knowing oh if i make sure that my exhale is longer than my inhale i breathe through my nose i perhaps try and breathe my diaphragm then i know what's going to happen to my nervous system there's no two ways about it like it's That's just what's going to happen. So not having to remember the patterns and the protocols, it's just, oh, I'm going to lengthen my exhale before I go to bed for a couple of minutes. Simple four,
0: eight, and
1: good to go. Yep. Awesome.
0: All right, Campbell. So a couple questions for you or three. Uh,
1: What are you reading right now? Right now, I'm actually reading a book called Essentialism, which is kind of what we're talking about most of the podcast. Uh, Greg McCown writes it. It's about sort of taking away the lots to focus on the few. Yep. And identifying what's the what can you put your weight behind that's going to give you the most effect rather than spreading yourself really thin. And like you touched on, I'm definitely guilty of it as well of trying to do everything <laughs> at once and recognizing that's not probably the most productive way to do it. So I'm, I'm trying to refine that a little bit and direct my focus into sort of one thing at a time a bit more. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, really good
0: book. I, know he, I think he's about to release a new one called Effortless. Yes. Um, so I'm interested to get that one uh what are you listening to right now be it music or podcast
1: i love my podcasts um i'm really enjoying andrew huberman's new podcast i think it's just called andrew huberman Um, but he's a, a wonderful educational neuroscientist that again he's very much tools based it's like what can you do to to regulate these sort of things for your nervous system yeah. Um, it's, got a, it's there's a heavy dose of science in there, um, but don't let that scare people away. There's, there's really a lot of take-home practices um, that are, are really sort of beneficial and day-to-day sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I,
0: I'm with you. I, I feel like, one, with the heavy science, but he does a phenomenal job of really distilling it down to catch the content.
1: Yeah, he's a really great educator because, I mean, I I love neuroscience and I I spend a lot of my time researching that. And a lot of these principles are pretty complex, but he does a great way of sort of making it just understandable and applicable.
0: Yeah. And the thing I like about it, too, is he does a lot of pictures and I'm a visual learner. So that just helps me catch it a lot, lot better. And I just it's an area I haven't spent enough time with. But yeah, great. Um, What is your go to rest and recovery method?
1: I have to say breathwork. <laughs> um, it's just my way. And again, number one, that piece being awareness, it tells me perhaps when I'm in need of a bit more rest and recovery. And it also is the tool that I can use. So, I, I mean, I do breathwork every morning for sort of 15, 20 minutes, but perhaps when I recognize that maybe my sleep's a little bit off, my energy's a bit off, that's time for me to do a longer session and sort of hit the reset button. So for me, it's definitely breathwork and that helps me just sort of tap back into that state of rest and recovery. Awesome. Well,
0: Campbell, thank you so much for your perspective on breathwork. Great teaching, I think, in this conversation. And I would highly encourage everyone listening to uh, check out Campbell and his website. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening in on my conversation with Campbell please check out his website at breathe breathebodytherapy.com again that's breathebodytherapy.com please share this episode far and wide also don't forget to rate and review those help get the word out further farther faster uh, across all the platforms out there for people to catch and find us here at the rest and recovery podcast so thanks again for listening Be rested. Be well.